Hey, you found us. This is a podcast of Carbon Valley Lutheran Church in Firestone, Colorado, just north of Denver. We here at CVL firmly believe that community is built, not found, that it's local, not virtual. So we encourage everyone to find a local church and help them build their community and be a service to them. With that said, we pray that these podcasts supplement and not replace your spiritual journey. If you'd like to learn more about us at CVL, you can check us out on Facebook or on the web at carbonchurch.com, or even better, stop by in person. We worship at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. May the Lord bless your day. We begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, on this wonderful weekend. Happy that you're joining me. We are uh, on Sermon 3 in our Lenten series, entitled Lenten Ironies. Today we're going to look specifically at power, uh, the power for change. I don't know if any of you know this, but March 11th is the 10-year anniversary for uh, an incredible natural disaster that happened in Japan. Now, if you're thinking back in your memory, maybe you've already picked it up. Um, But Japan, 10 years ago, almost to the day of this sermon, uh, experienced one of the most severe earthquakes that our world has ever seen, the uh, ensuing tsunami and the nuclear disaster that came afterwards. So uh, that... uh, um, that earthquake, known as uh, the Tohoku earthquake and tsunami, and the Fukushima nuclear accident, which came from that earthquake and tsunami, um, were just absolutely devastating. And to remember a little bit the size and the enormity of of what came ashore in Japan, um, it was was something that our world, up to that point at least, uh, we may have never seen before. The earthquake that started it all was estimated to be between a 9 and a 9.2 size earthquake. So um, that is the fourth largest earthquake ever recorded since modern recording devices are are around. So uh, the fourth largest that our world has ever seen. It is the largest earthquake that Japan has ever endured. It happened about 40 miles off the coast of northeastern Japan, the island of Japan. Um, So incredible amounts of power that our earth, earth unleashed in this earthquake, a 9 to a 9.2 sized earthquake. What came from it? Well, that power emanated out. So those are maybe some of the pictures that you're seeing on your screen or you remember even in your head. Um, But the kind of slow-moving disaster of the tsunami that came ashore uh, resulting from that earthquake. So uh, that tsunami came ashore and it was estimated to have reached 143 feet high. So 143 foot high wave coming on shore uh, in Japan. Now the speeds that that water and that uh, um, tsunami was moving at were estimated over 400 miles per hour. That tsunami pushed inland six full miles. So imagine that, right? 143 foot wave coming in and pushing into your and across your property and, and your livelihood six miles into Japan. That tsunami uh, was so powerful uh, that scientists have been able to measure that the entire island of Japan moved by roughly eight feet. Can you imagine that? The entire island of Japan was moved off of its axis about eight feet to the west because of the power of this earthquake and the ensuing tsunami. 
But if you remember back, that wasn't even the end of it, right? That would have been enough, an earthquake. And then that would have been a bonus if it was a tsunami of that size. But that tsunami ended up hitting the Fukushima nuclear power plant, which provided power for much of, of the island of Japan. It, it resulted in three nuclear meltdowns, level seven nuclear meltdowns of that Fukushima nuclear plant. Um, that nuclear uh, and radioactivity spread throughout the, the island and pushed inland. To this day, uh, they are still cleaning up afterwards. Um, just incredible amounts of disaster and fallout that have come from the meltdown at Fukushima. In the end, over 15,000 people died from that powerful event. Hundreds of thousands were displaced. Land that has yet to be used again since that time, that is still so radioactive uh, that people are, are excluded from that zone to live there or even go back. I think there are moments in our lives when we witness uh, incredible acts of power. And at those times, I think those incredible acts of power, hopefully they make us take a step back and maybe realize how insignificant we are. Maybe you've had something like that happen in your life, and it probably wasn't an earthquake or a tsunami, but I think that there are moments in our lives that are so powerful that it, it feels as though they rock us to our core and maybe even push us off our access a little bit, that our lives are never quite the same afterwards. But along with this, this um, Tohoku earthquake, uh, this tsunami and the Fukushima meltdown, Power we know can work for good or for bad. In this case, it was a disaster. People lost their lives uh, and, and, and lives were disrupted. But we also know that there are times when power comes into our life for the good and actually bring life. And really, that's what we want to look at here today. We're going to see two men who the earth, earth world would say were powerful men, um, Herod and Jesus, but what we really want to dig into for ourselves as Christians on our Lenten journey is what is true power? Where does it come from? How does it change us? And ultimately, how are we expected to use that power which we have for the good of the world around us and in glory and honor to our God above? And so that's the topic that we want to dig into. Um, and our theme today is going to simply be power for change. Now, our text needs a little bit of context setting because we've kind of pulled out just a few verses, verses 6 through 11, and it's a little bit abrupt if you even heard me read it uh, in the gospel reading. It kind of throws you right into, into what's going on. Um, but we're getting thrown into Jesus, the, the passion of Jesus, the last days of his life before he is crucified. Um, and in our text, Jesus is, has been being uh, plied with questions and kind of tried by uh, the religious leaders. And at that point, it was Pontius Pilate, who was the governor of Jerusalem and Judea at that time. And so um, that's kind of what's going on. Jesus is going through this mock trial, this fake trial, uh, where, at least in an earthly sense, we would say the most powerful men within Jerusalem and in the government at that time uh, were seeking to have Jesus Put to death. The point of our text, Pilate is actually kind of abdicating some of his power and, and pushing it over to another man named Herod. 
specifically Herod Antipas. So that's where our text picks up for today. We're going to see um, Herod, who was a powerful man, a powerful politician in that area, and his reaction to Jesus when he's in the presence of true power. So let's jump into our text. I'm going to read for you verses 6 through 8, and uh, we'll hear how Herod reacts to Jesus. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man, speaking about Jesus, was a Galilean. When he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he had been wanting to see him. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see Jesus perform a sign of some sort. And so you kind of hear this uh, this this. Um, passing of the buck, so to speak, from Pontius Pilate to Herod Antipas, who was also in Jerusalem during the Passover. And, and I guess we've got to set the scene just a little bit as to the political structure, the power structure that was going on during this handoff of Jesus as he's kind of getting passed around from powerful leader to powerful leader. Um, Herod Antipas, who uh, Jesus was handed to, um, was the ruler in the region of Galilee. So remember, Galilee was where many of Jesus' disciples came from. It's where Jesus did a lot of his ministry. Some of his early miracles uh, were performed up in the region of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee was there, uh, incredible fishing villages on the shores of that. And Herod Antipas, that was what he was in charge of. But it's fascinating that Herod kind of has a long and sordid history to the point of our text here today. Uh, Herod Antipas was actually the son of Herod the Great. So uh, if you remember back to Jesus' birth story, um, after Jesus is born and the Magi come from the east looking for Jesus, they go to a man named Herod looking for him. That was Herod the Great. So that was the father of the man that we're talking about in our text here today. But you remember that Herod the Great was not an awesome guy. So um, when they heard that 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 um, um, when Jerusalem, when Israel heard that Herod was upset because this supposed king had been born, the entire nation was upset with them. And that was for good reason, because Herod the Great was incredibly evil. In fact, we know from uh, the Bible and Jesus' birth story that he had every child, every male child under the age of two put to death in Bethlehem just in order to kind of, uh, in, in a giant deathly net, try to snatch up Jesus um, luckily and blessed for Jesus, Joseph, and Mary that they had already fled to Egypt and Jesus' life was spared. But that was Herod the Great. So that was the father of Herod Antipas in our text here today. But Herod Antipas was no better than Herod the Great. He uh, was kind of a chip off the old block. So Herod Antipas was, was not averse to putting to death anyone that he thought would possibly challenge his political future. And what's really fascinating about our text here is um, Herod Antipas's brother, Herod Archelaus, used to be in charge of Jerusalem uh, and used to be in that post. But Herod Antipas organized, orchestrated Archelaus to be ousted. In his place, in came Pontius Pilate. So Herod Antipas was not averse to, to having his own, his own family members ousted. Uh, he was married to one woman uh, and decided to have her put to death, ended up marrying his niece who was married to one of his, uh, one, one of his relatives. Um, Herod Antipas routinely put to death family members that he thought had any sort of, uh, of threat 
against his power. Uh, Caesar once quipped about Herod the Great and Herod Antipas uh, that you had a, a longer life expectancy if you were one of their pigs that was kind of tended in the pigsty than if you were one of their children or one of their relatives. So that's how quick these men were to use their power to take the lives of those around them, right? People that that uh, they should have loved and protected. In fact, they used their power to 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 take their lives. And so Herod Antipas was no different. Um, he happens to be in Passover or in Jerusalem for the Passover fe- festival. So Pilate knows that he's there. So he's, he's kind of on a, on a vacation. Everybody goes to Jerusalem during that Passover festival. Um, it was a joyous time. It was a wonderful time. And, and Herod Antipas happens to be there as well. And so when Pilate finds out that Herod is around and that Jesus had done lots of his ministry in Galilee and was from Galilee, Nazareth, um, he says, okay, this might be an opportunity where I can kind of pass this troublemaker and this problem off to Herod. And so he sends him uh, over to Herod. And you hear the reaction to some degree that Herod is kind of excited uh, in fact, he'd been kind of looking for Jesus. He'd been hoping that, that Jesus would perform some kind of si- sign, perform some kind of miracle. And this tracks with Herod Antipas. Um, he used his power in an incredibly deadly way about those that he thought were going to challenge it. But he also really wanted people to entertain them, entertain him rather. Um, Herod Antipas is the same one that was responsible for taking the head of John the Baptist as well. And so when he sees Jesus, he's excited. But if Herod Antipas is excited to see you, that's not necessarily a good thing. Because usually good things didn't come out of it. But he wanted to see Jesus. He wanted him to perform some kind of sign. And that's not that unusual, is it? Think about the power that Herod had in that moment. He used it exclusively for his own good. And I don't know that that's much different than the power that we wield and that uh, rulers and people within our world wield as well. Because think about that. Really, um, almost every aspect of our lives is asking ourselves the question, how are we using the power that we have? What, What are we using it for? Political leaders ask that same question. In fact, in many cases, that's why, uh, maybe why though there are those that seek political power, right? When we think about uh, kings and presidents and dictators or politicians. Um, on some level, we could probably admit that power makes the world go round, but we would also readily admit that power is so often abused and used for selfish purposes rather than selflessly. I think we could probably look into the news of the, the past couple weeks and we can find governors that use their power uh, for their own selfish gain rather than for the good of those around them. We can find story after story of our leaders using the power that they have, not for the good of the people that they govern, but for their own personal advancement. Herod was no different. He just was more blunt about it. He used his power to put to death. To, to kill those that did not entertain him, to, put, uh, to, to set aside those that couldn't help him advance his career. Um, Herod's entire life was about coercion and manipulation. That's how Herod chose to use the limited power that he had. But how about you and I? 
I think there are moments when we would have to admit that we've got a little bit of Herod in us. What I mean by that is moments when we use the power that we have, not for the good of people around us or the glory of our God above, but for our own selfish gain. And I think we can see that in us and within the systems in which we live, right? You look at our workplaces. Oftentimes, employers take advantage of employees. How often employees take advantage of employers, right? Cutting corners, cutting and running when things get difficult. Maybe we look into our schools. Maybe you're a student and you think of the the power games that happen between students, between classmates, right? Verbal manipulation, drama between people, right? Um, A continual jockeying of power and standing within your school system, within your friend group versus other friend groups. Maybe we look into our own families. Sadly, how often family members uh, hold grudges or use the power they have and the relationships they have um, against other people within their own families. In fact, at times, maybe we aren't like Herod putting to death the people that are in our families, but using our power to kill their, their reputation putting to death relationships that should be strong and loving, right? How often we use our limited power to hurt the people that we claim to love the most. You see that within relationships and marriages. How often spouses um, play this game of, of trying to get out of their marriage exactly what they need. And as soon as they are not drawing out of it what they perceive they need, then they cut and run. Husbands and wives that um, would be characterized much more by using one another rather than loving one another, right? Selfishness rather than selflessness. Maybe you even see it within churches. Sadly, you do, right? Church members that jockey for position and authority and to have their voice heard and to have their opinion not only heard but also implemented and expect others to get on board. And if not, Well, then we'll take active steps to try to marginalize and manipulate, right? The truth is, in our lives and in the structures in which we act, we use our power in incredibly selfish ways. And we do have power, don't we? Now, we may not be King Herod. You may not be a politician. You may be thinking to yourself, well, pastor, you don't know me. Like, I have almost no power. My kids barely, barely even listen to me, right? But that's not really true, is it? You have impact. You have a degree of power and impact on lots and lots of people, probably way more people than you even care to, to, to remember, right? And, and so we do have a degree of power. God has given us um, as adults and put responsibility in our hands and in our lives and people into our lives. And we have the choice to use our power either for selfish gain or selflessly. That's the reality of the power that we have in our lives. But in contrast to Herod, Jesus uses his power completely differently. And that's good for you and I. In fact, that's good for the world. Let's continue on in verses nine through 11. Herod plied Jesus with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him. Dressing him in an elegant robe, they sent him back to Pilate. It's a really fascinating interaction, isn't it? 
Herod is in the presence of the most powerful person that ever lived. Herod is in the presence of pure power, true God and true man. And yet, Jesus doesn't say anything. He withholds his power. He doesn't perform signs. He doesn't uh, do the dance that Herod wanted. He simply withholds his power and his words. And what's kind of fascinating is, look at Herod's reaction. And I would argue that this is the reaction oftentimes that our world has to Christ and the power of the gospel. And at times to us, as we share that gospel with people within our lives, Herod wants basically two things. Number one, entertain me, (laughs) work for me, right? People in places of power want others to do their bidding, entertain me, um, make me laugh, advance my career, help me get along, do these things for me. People in power are looking at times to use others in order to advance their career. That's exactly what Herod's doing here. He says to Jesus, entertain me. And when Jesus doesn't, what's Herod's reaction? Dismissal and ridicule, right? If you're not going to advance my career, if you're not going to entertain me, if you're not going to bring something into my life, then I've got no time for you. Ridicule, dismissal. And in truth, we shouldn't be surprised then as we share the gospel, as we share Christ in a world that thinks it has um, all of the power that when Christ and when God doesn't act or we as believers don't act or speak in the ways that the world wants, how easily we are dismissed and often ridiculed. But here's the good news. Herod didn't recognize it, but a power beyond anything he could have imagined stood right in front of him in the man Jesus Christ. Christ, in this instance, didn't perform a miracle and in fact kept kept his mouth shut. And yet, in a few short hours, he would change the world and the lives of billions of people thereon after. Because Jesus would ultimately be convicted. He would be sent back to Pilate. Pilate would wash his hands of him, but Jesus would be crucified on a cross. True God, God dying on a cross for you and I, laying out his life, draining himself of his power so that we would have eternal life, so our sins would be forgiven. And it was on that cross that Jesus didn't keep his mouth shut. In fact, we think of uh, the, the true words of power that Jesus spoke from the cross as he looked at his feet, as he saw soldiers and centurions and religious leaders and leaders within Jerusalem, all of the power structures that were present in the world at that time, ridiculing and mocking him. What were Jesus' simple words to them and to you and I in our sin and to the world around us? Father, forgive them. There's probably no more powerful words that we can hear than, Father, forgive them. Because, brothers and sisters, that is what you are. You're forgiven. Not because of what we've done, how successful we are, or the limited power that we wield in our lives, but because of Jesus' divine power, which he um, sacrificially laid down for you and I, and because of his words, Father, forgive them. We are loved. You are loved. You are forgiven because of Jesus' perfect life and innocent death on the cross. That is true power. Not the manipulation and dismissal of politicians and the limited power we have in our lives, but true power comes from Jesus Christ and knowing that we are loved, we are forgiven, and that no matter how the power of this world may turn against us, 
Christ can't be taken from us. That's the power that we have in Jesus. And it's a power that changes lives. Arguably one of the most powerful leaders that our world has ever seen, at least within recent memory, uh, would be Napoleon Bonaparte, uh, at least within modern history, right? Uh, Napoleon is still taught in our military institutes. So Napoleon and much of the French Revolution of what he put in place is, is responsible for some of our modern life. Uh, we talk about education and the rule of law. Um, and, and his brilliant, brilliant military tactics, all of those things are, are still impacting us. The ripples of, of let's say, the power of Napoleon's uh, conquering still echo today within our world. And, and from an earthly standpoint, we would say Napoleon had earthly power, right? He conquered uh, much of Europe and pushed all the way into Russia. Much of the known populated world, uh, Napoleon had power over. And what's really fascinating is that as Napoleon gained that power, he actually intentionally kind of reflected back on a previous time in the Roman Empire. He declared himself emperor. He gobbled up more and more of that power and took more and more and more of it. And yet his reign ended just like every ruler before him and after have Eventually, it came to, a, to a, stop, a stop, to a halt. He was defeated at Waterloo and eventually exiled, exiled on the island of St. Helena. While there, Napoleon had a little bit of an opportunity to reflect on the power that he had and the power that he lost. And as he did that, he made this statement. Napoleon said, I built a kingdom on force and it's melted away. Jesus Christ built a kingdom on love, and it stands still, and it will stand. An earthly leader, powerful leader, that understood that no matter how much and how strongly he wielded his power through force, it all came to nothing. But he also recognized that Jesus, built on love and forgiveness, has changed the hearts of billions of people since that time including yours. So whether you are Napoleon or Herod or the power that we see in a tsunami, an earthquake, or a nuclear disaster, none of them compare to the power we have in Christ. Power of the gospel to change hearts, to change lives. We want evidence of that? We can look around, but you don't need to look very far because you see that in your own heart. Christ has changed your heart. The power of Christ has changed your life. Let's share that good news with those who are looking for change, who need change, and need to see true power in Jesus. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.